You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Uh, This morning, we are kicking off a new sermon series, a mini-series in the Psalms. And uh, for those of you who, who have had not the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Wesley, one of the pastors here. Uh, and as we, as we think about this, this little this mini-series that we'll be doing over the course of the next few weeks, where we'll pick select psalms. Uh, I, I hope and pray that this would be a time where our affections would stir for the Lord, and that we would be led to worship Him in perhaps ways that we have not before. The, the psalms really, if, if you think of the Hebrew word itself, it is literally the word for song. Now, don't worry. Um, that does not mean Ben and I are going to get up here and sing every week for you. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave that to the, to the worship team that does a great job. But it really is it's a collection of 150 songs, you could say, or, or hymns or poems that, that direct our hearts to God in a very real and intimate way. Uh, they're, they're meant in a way to, to lead us to worship. They're meant in a way to show us how to express our emotions both to God, to one another, and to ourselves. And what we're going to find as we study through this is, is that the Psalms are going to teach us just that. I hope and pray as we go through this little mini-series of the Psalms that, that first it, it, will, it will make us fall in love with Jesus in a more intimate and real way. That we'll get to know him in a very real and intimate way. What I mean by that is not that just the Psalms point to the Messiah coming, but that Jesus himself used the Psalms in his devotional life. Jesus himself refers to the Psalms more than any in his ministry. And so when we think about that and we dwell upon that, I hope that as we read this, we'll find the, the really the heart of God in Jesus Christ. But I hope also as we study the Psalms over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll also see that, that in all of life's experiences, in, in the gamut of the human emotions that we experience, that God has provided guidelines and rhythms for us to walk in. And the Psalms help us on that path. The Psalms will help us d- direct our hearts to God in no matter what circumstance we're going through, no matter what season we're experiencing, no matter what emotions that we're dealing with in this life, it really is food for our souls. And so I, I thought it fitting as we kind of enter this little mini-series today to begin with the beginning, Psalm 1, the, the very first psalm. As some commentators will point out, that Psalm 1 uh, is there for a reason. And perhaps it's there for a reason because it is the psalm in which is meant to, to be used to read all the other ones. It's almost like a, a psalm that sets the stage for everything else to come. You know, as a kid, I used to love cereal a lot, like a lot, um, to the point where I would not just eat it for breakfast. It would be my after-school snack, and then it would be my late-night snack with my dad as well. Anybody like cereal late at night? I think it's the best time to eat cereal, right? Um, so, see, you guys agree, right? Um, so I would, we'd go to the store, because this is, this is back in the 90s, right, when you didn't have, like, you know, you can order your, your food to, to deliver. So you'd go to the store, and we'd go down the cereal aisle, okay, and if you're tracking with me for a moment, and I had two motives when I went down the cereal aisle. Number one, to find the most sugary cereal possible that my parents would let me get. And number two, that's my favorite, by the way, Fruity Pebbles. And then number two is to find the one that had a toy inside of it, okay? Now, specifically, the toys that I loved were what were called the decoder toys. And, and, and maybe this is before your time, and I'm sorry if it is. Okay, life was so simple in the 90s, you literally just needed a cardboard box to keep you entertained. So I, I, so, so I, I would get this decoder toy, and what would happen is it would be like, like this lens, this red lens. You'd get it out of the bottom of the cereal box, and then you would be able to, to see on the sides of the cereal box different secret codes that were written in this red kind of lettering all around it. And I love to do this every week. 
I would get cereal box, I'd find the decoder, and I would just go to town on that. Now, now I, I bring this to your attention because really Psalm 1 is going to treat uh, kind of the rest of the psalms this way. It's almost like the decoder lens, that if we can understand and grasp the heart of this psalm, it's going to help us as we make our way through the rest of them. And it all begins with this one word at the very beginning of Psalm 1, blessed. Now, the word blessed is probably not something that we use a lot in our normal vocabulary. Perhaps you've seen it on Instagram. It's actually one of the most famous hashtags right now. Hashtag blessed, right? Which is like, you know, you, you get a $15 latte and you take a picture of it and you put hashtag blessed on there. Or, uh, or, or you have an accomplishment in life that you just want to do a humble boast about for a moment. So you put hashtag blessed or you see a perfect sunset. And it's really just a way to kind of humbly, but not really humbly, brag about how perfect our life is. So we use this term to kind of cover that. Or perhaps you're from the South and you've heard this phrase, bless your heart. Which again, I think we should just get rid of this phrase. Because it's probably the most passive aggressive <laughs> way of putting someone down you could possibly use, right? Most of us don't use the term blessed in our lives unless someone sneezes. There's not a lot of opportunities for that word to creep into our normal vocabulary. But the word blessed here actually has a different meaning than perhaps we're thinking. The word blessed here in its most simplistic uh, meaning, its most simplistic translation here, is the word happy. It's the word satisfied. In essence, what the psalm is beginning, the, the book of Psalms is beginning with this statement, happy is the one, satisfied is the one, blessed is the one. And so all of a sudden, when we begin to see the psalms begins this way, it begins incredibly practical for us. Because all of us are looking for that in life. And dare I say, it's the, the one thing that our culture is wanting more than anything is, what is blessedness? What is happiness? What is satisfaction? How do we find it? How do we discover it? And as a culture, we, we think we know the answer to that, and the culture overall will tell you that you find blessedness, you find happiness, you find satisfaction within. You listen to your heart. And what your heart says, and you follow your heart for happiness. And everything in life is catered towards this. Every ad that you see, everything that, that you're seeing in your life is guaranteed, the satisfaction guaranteed. This is how you can find blessings. This is how you can find happiness. We're all searching for it. We're searching for it in material love. We're searching it for interpersonal love. We're searching it in emotional love. And yet the problem is, it seems to be so elusive, doesn't it? Like the more we search for it, the more we realize it's elusive to be happy in this life. I mean, the, the irony is, as a culture that praises itself for being, being the most pro progressive in all these ways as a culture, that we have obtained so many things as a culture, and yet when you look statistically, depression and despair is skyrocketing through the roof. We all know we need blessedness and happiness and satisfaction in life, but we just don't know how to get it, do we? And Psalm 1 is going to teach us exactly what it looks like to live the blessed life. Our main idea is simply going to be this from the text. The blessed life is one that is rooted in God. And as we seek happiness in life, as we seek satisfaction in life, it finds its source in another. It finds its source in something bigger than ourselves. And this text is going to teach us that we find it when we're rooted, when we're planted, when we're grounded in God. So our outline's going to flow straight from the text. We're going to look at three things about this idea of blessedness. We're going to use that term today. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll use the term happiness or satisfaction, but it's all, it's all getting at the same idea. 
we're going to look at the source of blessedness in Psalm 1. Where does it come from? How do we get this happiness? What is the method for maintaining blessedness in life? And then finally, what is the key to really living out this happiness in life, this satisfaction in life? Let's go straight to the text here and begin in verse 1. Blessed is the one, blessed is the one, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Now, just when we look at this psalm, we see that it has a stark contrast in it. It has a stark contrast, perhaps we would say, between that of the life of the ungodly and that of the life of the godly. And how the the life of the godly is described here is one who walks with God, and the metaphor presented here is it's like one who is a tree with deep roots beside streams of water. It bears fruit and it prospers. But then we see the ungodly which is contrasted by this, this other direction of life. And it's like chaff, that's the metaphor used for it. And, and, and perhaps you don't know what chaff is because we don't really live in an agricultural society, so I don't expect anyone to know what that is. Uh, but but it's, 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 the, it's the outer thin part of the wheat seed. And so basically what happened is, is to separate the goodness of the wheat seed from the chaff that was worthless, you would take it in a basket and you would toss it in the air. And the wind would catch the chaff and it would take it away. And the psalm is using that as a description of a life of ungodliness, of a life that is, is, is futile in a way. That pursuing a life without God, without being rooted in God, doesn't lead to a happy ending, but you actually see a completely diverged future here in this text. That not only is life meaningless for the ungodly, he says even worse, in the end, the ungodly stand under judgment. And so we see this, this, these two diverging paths here in Psalm 1. One that leads to futility in life, and one that leads to this deep satisfaction, this deep joy. Now, the key here, again, is, is what he says in verse 1. Blessed is the one. So we're getting at this idea of, of, of what does it mean to be blessed, and how do we find this blessing? How do we understand this happiness? And, and I think this text actually teaches us two ways in which we commonly look for happiness and satisfaction in life that, that is actually not the means in which we obtain it. The first is simply this, that blessedness is not an end to itself. Notice that the text does not start with, blessed is the one who seeks after blessing. Blessed is the one who seeks after blessedness. It doesn't start with this idea of, happy is the one who actually seeks after happiness. In other words, if you're trying to find happiness in life, it can't be found directly. It is always a byproduct of something else. It is always a byproduct of seeking something else. And so the text reminds us, if our end goal, if our highest priority is actually satisfaction in life and happiness in life, we're not going to find it, because it can't be found directly. And, and Jesus actually teaches us this in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he teaches us this in, in Matthew 6. He tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he says all the other things will be added. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is if we seek life with God, then guess what gets thrown in? Happiness, satisfaction, blessedness. But if the end result is blessedness, then we actually get neither. 
And, and that's, that's kind of what the text is teaching us here. That it's not the end of itself. It can't be the end of itself. The one who is actually satisfied, the one who is actually happy, is the one who can stop trying so hard to be happy and instead ask the deeper question of this text. And that is, who am I really living for? Where is my allegiance? You see, if happiness becomes our highest priority, then, then we'll always make exceptions to, to get to that goal. It, what I mean by that, if we're a Christian and we say that, I, I just want to be happy in this life, I just want to be satisfied in this life, we're always going to be making exceptions on what it looks like to follow God in order to obtain that happiness. Think of it this way. If happiness is your highest priority in life, if, if this idea of blessedness is the highest priority in your life, and you know your job brings you happiness, well, then it's easy to compromise on integrity so that you don't lose that job. Because in the day, you know that what your ultimate priority is, is your satisfaction in life. Or perhaps it's a relationship. And you're like, ha happiness is, this relationship is just bringing me happiness, and happiness is the goal of my life. And therefore, I know there's certain aspects of this relationship that is not honoring to God, but, but you know what? I go, I'm going to compromise on that because I can't lose this happiness. That is the goal. We always make exceptions when that is the end of itself. But the Bible tells us time and time again that that, that is elusive and it will never sustain. And yet God in the scriptures is committed to your satisfaction. He's committed to your happiness, but we don't approach him saying that, okay, God, I'll approach you if I can get happiness, if I can get satisfaction in this life. We don't, we don't come to God in that vein, saying, God, make me satisfied, make me happy. Because when we come to God, we, we come to him as who he is which means that we owe him everything and we expect nothing. To come to him to, and say, okay, I, I will come to you, God, if, if you give me my end goal of happiness is not to come to God, it's to come to a butler, <laughs> right? It's to come to someone who can just give you what you need in the moment. But coming to God and saying, God, I owe you everything because that's just who you are. And we come to God in that way, what we're seeing in the text here is that happiness will always be the byproduct. So it's not the end of itself, but then secondly, happiness is also not circumstantial. Notice the metaphor he uses again for the, the blessing of this life. He says, blesses the one, go to verse three. What's the metaphor? He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. It's a wonderful metaphor, right? Be because a tree is subject to all seasons. A tree is not always fruitful. It's not always blossoming. It could be subject to winter, and it could be subject to incredibly dry summers. And guess what? It feels those seasons. It, it feels the pain of those seasons. It's not always productive in those seasons. It doesn't always look green in those seasons. And yet, look at this text. What is so unique about this tree? Unlike many other trees, it says this tree has been planted on the riverbank. It says this tree has roots that have access to a constant, an unrelenting stream of water. That even if drought or heat comes, even if that comes, the water never dries up. It always has access to it. Now what is that teaching us here? It's teaching us that the secret of blessedness in this life, the secret of happiness in this life, is to see that the source is not in the circumstances that we face in life, whether good or bad. But instead, it's what's underneath us. It's what is it's inside of us. It's what we're rooted in. See, satisfaction and happiness in life it doesn't consist on what happens to us, but more so of who we are. Perhaps we say whose we are. 
This text reminds us, and really the tone of this passage is not what we need to do in order to obtain satisfaction and blessedness in life, but who, whose are we in order to receive blessedness and satisfaction in life? The Bible tells us that to be a Christian is not to be a religious person, or not to just be a nice person, or to be someone who does good things. But the Bible constantly tells us over and over and over, whether through metaphor like this or directly in the, t- in the Bible, it teaches time and time again that Christians are like trees planted. They are rooted in something other than themselves. Something has been planted from the outside into us. That's the source. That something has come from the outside into us. Something now becomes a part of us. We are rooted into something different now. Something amazing has happened. The Bible describes this as what's called the new birth. This idea that we are new creations of God, that we've been planted into something else. That, as Peter talks about, we are partakers of this new divine nature. So a Christian is not like, like the chaff that just goes with the wind and has no root. He says, no, no, no. The source is that we are actually rooted in something bigger than ourselves, greater than ourselves, something that we cannot obtain on ourselves. See, a tree cannot plant itself. A tree has to be planted. And when a tree is planted, it now has a source. It has a power. It has a new outlook. It has a new understanding that that was not there before. It has a new source to, to draw from. And this is what the blessed life is. This is the source that we get to have, an unending source in God. Which means, and this is so beautiful, which means that just like a tree can experience affliction and pain in this life, just like a tree, when we experience that, the text says that even if we go through drought, even if we go through seasons of grief, even if we're seasons of pain, we are an evergreen tree. The text says our, our leaves never wither because our roots are deep down into something else. That doesn't mean when something tragic happens in life or a circumstance comes upon us that we just say, oh, praise God, let me smile, smile through the pain, you know. God's good, right? He's good. No, no, it doesn't mean that we go through hard times with little tears and little grief. That's not the peace of God that that is in this passage. That's not the joy of God that's in this passage. But what this this metaphor is reminding us is that our, our, our happiness in life, our joy in life, our satisfaction in life, it's not in our circumstances, But in fact, just like a tree, when we go through seasons of dryness, that causes our roots to dig even deeper into the source. And that is how we live a life of satisfaction. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of our pain, we can rejoice because there's something about drought and there's something about fruitlessness in life that causes us to want to dig deeper into our base, to dig deeper into our roots, which is Jesus Christ himself. And so this idea of blessedness and happiness is not superficial. It's not just kind of like this this lightheartedness all the time, hashtag my life is blessed. That's not what the text is saying. It is a joy that is permanent, a joy that is stable, that is overwhelming, that is sustaining, that is satisfying, that is like a tree that is planted, and that tree is not going to be uprooted. That's why in just a few short uh, psalms later, Psalm 4, David would say this. He says, I have more joy in God than people have when their wine and grain abound. Why is David saying that? He's saying, if wine and grain do not abound, I know I still have God. What he's saying there is even in the seasons of drought, it can actually deepen our joy in God 
Because in seasons of drought, our roots can go deeper into the source, which is Christ himself. And in seasons like that, we realize that Christ is all that we need because he's all that we have. And in seasons like that, even when wine and grain do not abound, we realize that he is all that we need. And in seasons where it does abound, we realize that he is better than anything wine and grain can offer. That's the source. The source of blessedness is digging our roots deep down into something else, into Christ himself, and not our circumstances, not the superficial things that can make us happy, but in the everlasting, sustaining stream of water that is Christ. Now, if that's the source that this passage is teaching us, then what is the method to obtaining that source every day? What is the method to, to keep us drawing from that source every day? Well, this text tells us two things. Number one, it will tell us what not to do in order to, to, to have this blessedness in life, this happiness in life. And it's going to tell us what to do. The first thing it says is what not to do. Look what it says in verse 1. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you see the progression here. It's telling us what not to do. Do not do these things is what the psalm is telling us. And number one, it says, don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Walking in the counsel of the wicked is, is our intellect. It's listening to the counsel of the ungodly. It's being captivated, captivated by things that are not true. And then that progressed to standing in the way of sinners, which we might say is, the, is our behavior. We, we then change our behavior to, to stand with the way of sinners. And then finally, that progression gets to the end, which is talking about sitting in the seat of scoffers. And with Semitic language, anytime you see language like sitting like this, it's saying that's where you belong. When you sit somewhere, you have firmly planted yourself somewhere. And so if I sit with the Greeks, I belong to the Greeks. If I sit with the Romans, I belong to the Romans. So what Psalm 1 is actually getting at here is fundamentally what we have to understand is who do we belong to? Because if we get to the end of our rope and we realize that we are sitting in a seat that God has not designed for us and does not have for us, then we realize that we're not living the blessed life. Who do we belong to? Where are we sitting right now? What has captivated our minds and our hearts and has driven us to a place where we're sitting and thinking, this is where I can seek satisfaction. This is where I belong. The first step is to realize that any other seat than the lap of our Heavenly Father is the wrong place for you. Because that is where we've been called to. That is where we seek satisfaction and joy from. And so this progression is don't do this. Don't, don't fall into that pattern of sitting somewhere where you're not supposed to. But instead, what does he tell us to do? Well, he tells us we should delight in something. Look what he says. But his delight, this blessed one, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, when you see the phrase, the law of the Lord, this isn't just talking about where the rules are in the Bible, okay? That's not what he means. He means the wisdom of God, the counsel of God, the scriptures themselves. So he delights in God's word. He delights in God's wisdom, and he meditates on it day and night. Now, I, I can see your, your head's probably thinking, okay, Wesley, you're going to give us the, the, the method here, which is just read my Bible more and pray, <laughs> right? That's what you should do now. Read your Bible more and pray. 
Well, it's not just that simple. I know we want to just, our method, our method kind of brain says, okay, let's just practically think of those steps. Let's read our Bible more and pray because that's how we go through life, right? You think of school, how do you get through school? The method of school is that you study, you gain content, and then you put those skills into place. Sports, same thing. I'm trying to teach my kids about sports right now. It's really, it's really difficult. Every time that someone scores a touchdown, Harper still says home run. And <laughs> every time someone scores a soccer goal, uh, Ellie still says points. But whatever, we're getting there, okay? Trying to teach them there's a method, there's a, there's a strategy, there's practice, 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 and then you put those practices in, into place, right? There's a method, and we want to think of life as, as that kind of easy method to everything. That's why we want to have a five-step plan to get happy. We want to have a five-step plan to lose weight, five-step plan to get better. We want an easy method like that, but this text doesn't just give us that. It doesn't just say, do this, do this, do this. It captures something deeper for us, and it starts with this idea of delighting in something, of having joy in something. And how does this blessed one delight in the law of the Lord? He meditates on it. Now, meditation is, is a word that probably we have some confusion on because oftentimes we think of meditation, we think of Eastern kind of meditation, right? And Eastern meditation would tell us that meditation means that you empty your mind of everything. But that's not what the text is telling us. It doesn't tell us empty your mind of everything and come to this, this state of, 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 of nothingness. No, what does the author tell us to do? To meditate on something, to actually fill our minds with something. But it's much more than just filling our minds with data collection and content and saying, read your Bible and study it. The idea of meditation is more than just, just uh, uh, gaining knowledge of something. When he says that he's meditating on it, he's delighting in it, he's saying that what is intellectually true becomes real to our hearts. It's deeper than just knowing something. It's taking what we know and it's drilling it deep down inside of our hearts that we actually experience it, that becomes real to us. That's what meditation is. It's a way to activate our hearts to God. It's saying that God's word is, is, is something that we can taste and see and experience and become real to our hearts. And let me tell you why this is important. If you look in the Psalms, this is, I think this is very helpful. You can look at different places in the Psalms where the, where the psalmist actually speaks to his own soul. Think of Psalm 42. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are, why are you turmoil within me? Or perhaps Psalm 103, which says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not his benefits. Now, what is the psalmist doing? Who is he talking to in these? Is he talking to God? No. Is he talking to other people? No. He's talking to himself, but, but, but deeper than that, he's talking to his soul. He's talking to his heart. See, this is the beauty of meditation and delight in the law of the Lord. That it takes what we intellectually know, and through meditation, it drills it down into our souls. It's a way to speak to our hearts and to our souls and say, this is the truth that I know cognitively, intellectually, and theoretically, but now I want to experience it. I want it to really move me. And, and this happens in life, right? I mean, I can, say, I can say right here from the stage that I know that God loves me. I can tell you that intellectually right now, I absolutely know that God loves me. But I can also tell you there's times where I don't know because I don't live in light of that knowledge. And in those moments where I don't live in light of that knowledge, what I need to do is delight in his law and meditate on it and allow it to, to speak to my heart and, and, to, and to say, forget not, Wesley, the love of God so that I can actually taste and experience his love. 
It's not just about content acquisition. This isn't just about give yourself a little pep talk to, to make yourself you know, feel good. This is not try harder, Wesley, try harder. No, this is taking God's wisdom and taking God's word and allowing it to move into our hearts. Allowing it to just push deep down into our souls. You see, I think one of the reasons perhaps why we go through this life and we don't experience this blessedness, this happiness, this satisfaction on a daily basis, the reason why we may be downcast is because we're doing too much listening to our hearts and not speaking to our hearts. The idea of meditation, the idea of delighting is speaking to our hearts, the truth of God. Instead of chasing after our heart's desire and not filling our hearts with the one whom we should desire. And that is what the psalm is teaching us. Blesses the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law of the Lord and allows the law of the Lord to speak truth into their heart. Because again, notice the contrast here between the imagery, the tree and the chaff. When we meditate on God's word, when we delight in it, it creates the stability in our lives. We're like this firm tree planted. There's security there. But notice the chaff. It, it, the chaff sometimes looks important. It, it looks just like the wheat. It looks inseparable from the wheat. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. It's suddenly it's gone. And, and we have to, to think of that in our own lives. Ask the question, what are we chasing after that has gone with the wind in our lives? What are we meditating on in life that this world says matters to us that in the end doesn't matter? What are we devoting our delight to that will make us happy that in the end will be carried off in the wind? And, and what, are we, what are we resting in that is causing us to dig deep roots in the Lord? How are we opening up our time in his word? How are we uh, allowing him to animate and capture our hearts more than just our intellect? Now, saying that, I, I recognize, can, can seem like a very daunting task, which I think leads us to the key of blessedness. When you read Psalm 1, you realize that this seems to be indicating a perfect human. <laughs> I mean, who in this room can stand up right now and say, yeah, I meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. <laughs> I do that every day, day and night, day and night. I meditate on it. I delight in it all the time. Which one of us could stand up today and say we can do that, right? It, it seems almost crushing, doesn't it? It seems daunting to say, oh my gosh, like every day I have to, I have to meditate on his word. I have to delight in it. it. It seems like it can crush us. That's because it's meant to point us to something bigger than ourselves. It's meant to point us to someone else. You see, at the end of the day, what Psalm 1 is t teaching us is there is a perfect personhood that is not obtainable. That we will sometimes fall in the way of sinners. That we will sometimes listen to the counsel of the wicked. That we will sometimes forget that our delight is in the law of the Lord. But there is one in the Bible who always delighted in the law of the Lord. There is one in the Bible who always meditated on it day and night. What Psalm 1 has really given us a description is of Jesus himself. It teaches us of the man, Jesus Christ, who walked not in the counsel of the wicked, but perfectly submitted himself to the will of the Father. It gives us a description of Jesus Christ himself, the one who, who didn't get in the way of sinners, but became the friend of sinners and made a way of salvation for us. It shows us Jesus, the man, who, who did not sit in the seat of scoffers, but sits in the seat of mercy. It's showing us Jesus, the one who delighted in the, the law of the Lord. Day and night, meditated on it. The one who never slumbers or sleeps 
whose holiness is everlasting. It gives the beautiful picture of Jesus who is like a tree, who is the tree of life where has, he has living water. But he says that anyone who drinks of that living water will never thirst again and will bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in such a way that he is like leaves that will never wither because he is, as the Bible says, the true vine and we are the branches in him. See, what this text reminds us of is that the Bible is pointing to what God has done for us in Christ. And so let me ease the burden of what it looks like to, to methodologically every day study God's word and live in this life of blessing. Let, let me ease the burden for a moment. It's not up to you. It never was. This passage points us to a greater reality that Jesus is the one who obeyed perfectly, that Jesus is the one who lived perfectly, Jesus is the one who loved perfectly, Jesus is the one who followed the Father perfectly, and he did it for us. And when that delight, the delight of God in Christ for you, touches your heart, doesn't that just want to spark a little bit of joy in your life to say, I want to know who he is? When the delight of God in Christ touches your heart, doesn't it just want to spark a little bit of passion in your life to say, I want to find out who is this person who loves me that much? You see, the, the starting point for delighting in the law of the Lord and, and meditating on it is delighting in God himself. It's delighting in Christ himself. It's looking to him and saying, Jesus, how have you loved me so much? How have you done so much for me when I walked in the way of sinners, when I sat in the seat of scoffers, and yet you redeemed me and you've made me this tree, and you've given me an unending source in your word that is like living water. And when you begin to delight in God in that way, and you begin to delight in Jesus and what he has done for you, then incrementally, guess what happens? You begin to fall in love with the law of the Lord more and more and more. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Because that's how relationships work in life. Relationships work just like that. We tend to love the things that the one whom we love loves. And we see that Jesus delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it and, and the law is pointing to the fact that Jesus delights in you and that should stir up our hearts to want to delight and meditate on his word day and nights, day and nights, for it to move into our hearts, for not to become something so daunting to study, but as the Psalms will teach us, something that we can delight in so that we can drill down into our hearts. And you know what happens when we begin to do that? We begin to see that happiness and satisfaction in life is at our fingertips always. It's always there for us. It never eludes us. <clears throat> it never escapes us. It's always there for us. And that can move our hearts to pray differently. And I, and I do pray that, that our study in the Psalms will, will move our hearts to pray differently, in seasons of drought especially. And, and it will change our heart's attitude towards praising the Lord and being thankful for him. And it will change our hearts in the way we confess our sins to him. Because we'll realize and remind ourselves that there's no fear, there's no shame, there is no broken for our brokenness anymore. We can come to God, we can ask him anything and everything, knowing he is a God full of love and of joy. And there's delight in him. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.